0: Again, we are in Ephesians this morning, and we've looked at, the first week we looked at verses 1 and 2, we gave an overview of what Ephesians is about, who wrote it, where it came from. You can see that story, it's in, I want to say it's Acts 19, and it goes along a little bit in there. There's more to it than that, but as we get into Paul's epistles, it's good, one, just to sit down and read through. Ephesians. I've been listening to Ephesians, trying to listen to it once each week as we, before I preach on it to get the overview of Ephesians. It's really easy to get into the minutia and just a few verses and get really deep, but if you don't catch the whole theme of Ephesians, it's hard because uh, the first three chapters, at least, are God's awesome. God's amazing. Through his son, Jesus Christ, he saves us through his grace, and there's nothing that we can do about it except for except Jesus, right? If you want to get more detailed than that, if you want to get deeper than that, a better, I don't want to say better, a different point of view is to look at the book of Romans. The book of Romans really breaks down our depravity of man. And so if you look at the first three chapters, really the first four chapters of Romans, it shows that we can't get to heaven by ourselves. And that's basically what he's saying in in Ephesians. But there is someone that has higher authority. There is someone that is better than us, and that's Jesus Christ. He fulfills that, and through that, he has all the authority in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And this is why I pursue a relationship with him, because he pursued a relationship with me. First John 4.19, we'll say it later today, but we love because he first loved us, right? That's the engravement inside Brandy's eyes, I's wedding rings, and it says 1 John 4.19, I had to memorize the rest. So it's how you got to do sometimes. It's a long one, so just kidding. Not. Um, first John is a really good indicator as well. If you want to know if you're a Christian, Read First John. If you don't want to know if you're a Christian or if you're saved or not, don't read first John. so let you know. Um, so as we get into this next section, we look at the God's authority. We're going to look at first or Ephesians chapter 1 15 through 18. And this is encouraging to me because Paul is writing now he's getting personal. He says, ever since I first heard of your strong faith in my Bible app on my phone. If it's something that's positive and that is uplifting, something that I need to know, I highlight it in blue. If it's something that's negative and something I need to know, I highlight it in yellow. Like if the Israelites fall away from God, I will highlight that in yellow, how they fell, fell away and things. Because I, I'm susceptible to the same things, right? And so I'm looking for those things. If it is something that has to do with the body of believers, and how we should grow, I highlight that in pink, because one, there's less of those that I've found, but they're becoming more and more. My blues are turning pink a lot more and more, and this is one of those passages that I have highlighted in pink. It says, for ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you, I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you supreme wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he has called, excuse me, his holy people who are rich and glorious in his inheritance. Now I've heard that this section 3 through uh, 14, or 3 through the end of the chapter, Paul didn't punctuate anything in here, he didn't put any punctuation in here. So we don't necessarily know where things go. We've only given our best guess by adding some punctuation in later on and things. I think some of that is done on purpose, and I think some of that is, is just frustrating as studying this passage. But as we go through that, I thought it was worth no- noting on that. So we look at faithful followers, and we praise God for faithful followers. It is so encouraging to come alongside other believers who want to know Jesus just as much as you do. Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 12, it says, when we get together, I want to encourage you in your faith, but I also want to be encouraged by yours. And there's an expectation there that as iron sharpens iron, so man, one man will sharpen another. That's Proverbs 27, 17 as well. And so we want to praise God for those iron sharpeners, for those faithful followers that are encouraging, that are walking alongside. You you ever get a friendship where Christ is the center and you get into that relationship and they walk in the room and the first thing they start talking about is Jesus. And it's like, wow, this guy's going to spur me on in the gospel. I remember uh, we were down in St. Louis about Five years ago now, and Angela and um, Victor, yes, came in. And Victor just start. He was charged up. He's right in the middle of his one of his papers for his masters, and he starts talking about this. And I'm like, "Wow, I can barely follow you, but I can," um, because he's a lot smarter than I am. But man, this is awesome. Yes, you're right. And uh, praise God for this. And it really spurred me on that day. And I was not expecting that at all. So praise God for guys like Victor in our life. Life is always easier when we have others working the task right alongside us, isn't it? Um, the old saying, when you have many hands, makes for light work. So there are expectations that go along with these tasks as well. If you look at 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, it says, you have heard me teach these things that I have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others, okay? So there's an expectation in the Christian faith to take what we have learned and pass it on to others. You see that in Deuteronomy chapter 6, right after the Shema. Now that you know that, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, and soul, mind, strength, pass that on to others, to, to your kids, your grandkids, and to the next generation on after that. This has the same thing. You see, Paul says, you have heard me teach these so that it can be confirmed to many reliable witnesses. So Paul says, you've seen my three generations. I want to see you then teach other trustworthy people who will pass them on to others. And so you have from Paul to Timothy to others to others. So you actually see four generations in there. And if you really wanted to get technical, you could say that Christ passed it on to Paul, that's not an unwritten rule there, and that would be five generations. So there's an expectation to continue this on, not only to teach yourself but to teach the next generation. How do we know that we've learned it well enough? Is it good enough for me to just become a disciple of Christ and say, well, there I've, I've arrived, I know my Bible, I know where I'm going to go, And that's good enough. Well, you could probably say, with that tone of voice, Shane, probably not good enough, right? And it isn't. Um, What we have learned, we need to be able to teach. And once you can teach that, and once you have taught that, then you know that you've arrived enough to where you can communicate it well enough to pass that on to others, who will pass it on to others. Your first and foremost, most important audience is your family, right? We need to be teaching the next generation and it starts with our family. So at the very least, we need to be living it out in front of them, right? That's where our active faith shows when we are doing this. So why do we do this? Because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us, First John four nineteen, right? If he doesn't set the example for us, we don't have to set the example for anybody else. But fortunately, praise God that he set the example for us what it means to live sacrificially and that we can walk toward him. So Paul goes on to ask from the Lord for the church in Ephesus for spiritual wisdom and insight. I ask that you have spiritual wisdom and insight. Have you ever prayed that for White Rose? For spiritual wisdom and insight. I'm not quite like that in this context. I can admit myself I have not prayed that for you guys guess what? You got prayed for that this week. And I know there were some that needed that this week. So praise God that he brought it in when he did, right? So for spiritual wisdom and insight, I always pray for wisdom and understanding, which may be the same thing, but this was a little bit different context and it helped me pray for you more specifically. And it always helps to pray God's word back to him because he knows that I know that, that he is in charge, I guess, right? So that we might grow in the knowledge of God. How do we do this today? How do we grow in the knowledge of God? Well, first and foremost, we study his word. And I've been harping on this lately because I've been, in, I've been out there. I've been in the pew. I used to sit right where my daughter is, right there. Second, second row, chair in, first row, right in the front. Of my ch- church, a Bureau Township Community Church. That's where I sat. You know why I sat there? There's several reasons, because believe it or not, when you mess around in the front row, either everybody sees it because you've been way too loud, I did that many a times, but if you're soft enough, you're messing around in front of everybody, nobody's paying attention to the front of the church anyways, they're all messing around in their pew anyway, so, uh, but there's plenty of times that uh, everybody looked at me after the service, because I was snoring, sawing logs right through the thing, um, But when the Lord got a hold of my heart, I started taking notes and I started looking to see what God had for me. And I started going, okay, if I'm getting that much out of a sermon on Sunday, there's got to be more in his word that I'm missing. I'm just taking for granted that I know it already. And what an arrogant statement that is. Right? I'm taking for granted I know it already. So I'm like, let's read. I'm going to read the gospels and see if I already know this. Guess what? I didn't know it all. God does that on purpose, especially with this book. Right? The Bible, he reveals things over time so that you can deepen your faith over time and so that you can grow up in him and that way we will not drift away, right? Hebrews 2:1. You remember it, Jay? Yeah. So we must listen carefully to the truth that you have heard or we may drift away from it, right? Jay got 20 bucks out of remembering that on Sunday school with Craig one time. And that's a little bit different than the one he's memorized because I remember his version as well. But drift is so easy. And we're not talking about Tokyo drift either. I know you're excited. to. All right, we're finally going to learn how to turn that car. Like, No, that's not what we're talking about. That's also drift. But drift, when we walk away from the faith, when we move away from center, Satan doesn't need to get us turning 180 degrees. He needs to get us turned two degrees away from the center. And so over a long distance, what do we have? We're miles and miles away from center, right? It only takes a couple of degrees to get off. And so we we need to pay carefully to the truth that we have heard so we don't drift away from it. And drift is so easy. It's so easy. We get busy doing life. We get busy doing this and we forget to read our Bible one or two times. I know when my Bible app says you've missed a day, really, it's usually about five days. Five days it will show up in my life in direct sin. I am like, man, why, why am I dealing with this temptation like I'm dealing with it? And I look at my Bible app and I haven't read my Bible for the last five days. And it's like, oh boy. Lord, forgive me. Get me back on track. Um, guard my mind and guard my thoughts, so that I might be holy and pleasing to You. That's my simple prayer. I, I try to say every morning, and I get back into that routine and keep going. Maybe I skip a Sunday or, or two, and soon I find myself, or we find ourselves, in a compromising position with no backbone to stand up for the truth that we have learned because we have drifted away. Right. So God is calling us back. Where has my confident hope gone? It's almost an oxymoron the way or more yeah, an oxymoron that the way Paul writes that confident hope. Hope is not necessarily supposed to be confident, it's supposed to be like there, but we're not supposed to be know it's there. You know, we we can see beyond the horizon, but we can't see the city on the other side. We hope we're going to get there, but we're not sure if it's there yet. We have confidence in our car that it's going to get us over the hill, but we don't know that for sure because our tank is on E. Right? So we have hope that we're going to get there, but having confident hope is different. Having confident hope is like my hope for heaven. I know it's there. I know I'm going because I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I have surrendered to him, and he is guiding me there. Am I going to get there in a straight line? Probably not, because I'm also me, and I also sin, and I meander, and I walk. Um, I'm prone to wander, right? I'm prone to leave this God that loves me. But when I love God, then I straighten that line up, and I hit it and go after it again, right? So he's the hero, and I'm the villain. But someday I'll get to be the sidekick, right? (laughs) Someday we'll be in heaven with each other and he'll tell all those silly stories hey guys it's Shane's turn today remember that time you and i am be like oh man I'm an idiot yes I remember that time yes so the question is how do we keep this hope alive how do we press on well we talked about getting in God's word right there's obviously prayer and working through those those little things But one thing that we can do for one another is build one another up, to build up each other's faith. And a good tool for this is in the one another scriptures of the Bible. And I looked online and I found Jeffrey Krantz wrote this in his blog, and he breaks it down nicely. It says, one another is two words in the English, but in the Greek word, it is one. It is a leleon. It is used 100 times in 94 verses in the New Testament. So it's a theme that comes up quite often. 47 of those verses are given for instructions for the church as a whole. Okay, 60% of those instructions come from Paul, which I thought was interesting as well, which maybe we naturally... Find that because he was a church planner, and he knew after he left that the church would have to build each other up, or they're not going to get anywhere. So, if you look at these verses, a few more common things show up, and um, we're going to have first. It's going to come up with unity. So, why don't you pull up those the first ones there, and there I know they're small on the screen, um, and I apologize for that, but that's the only way I could get them on there. But you can listen because I'm going to read them all. Okay. It says, one third of the church, one another commands deal with the unity of the body. Have we ever seen where the unity of the body struggles and the church struggles? Absolutely. Anytime you have major conflict in a church and the unity is not there, I'm getting to the point where it's going to be just like, we're going to sit down and have a knockdown, dragout fight about this because we're going to get to the bottom of this. Let's figure it out right now. Because. I'm tired of division poisoning the well in a church. It's just ugly. It doesn't work well. And it says, be at peace with one another. It says, don't grumble among one another. Be of the same mind with one another. Accept one another. Wait for one another before beginning communion. Don't bite or devour or consume one another. That's right, don't eat each other. Don't, bo- don't boastfully challenge or envy one another. Gent- gently, patiently tolerate one another. Be kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving to one another. Bear with and forgive one another. Seek good for one another, and don't repay evil for evil. Don't complain against one another, and confess sins to not one another that's one we like to just axe out and not do at all because that one means that i've sinned and i'm have shame that goes along with that but part of that is a prideful thing too because if i confess my sins i no longer am the strength to get over that sin christ is the strength and my brother is my strength I think it's important that brothers confess to brothers and sisters confess to sisters. Okay, the next third that we bring up have to do with love. One-third of them instruct Christians to love one another. There's 11 verses in there that use love one another. Uh, Through love, we need to serve one another. What kind of love is that? Are we talking Talking about agape love. When you serve one another, it means that you love. You give to give. You don't give to get. You know, I'll give you my uh, Kit Kat so I can have your Reese's. Right? That's not. That's not true love. That's not agape love. That might be brotherly love, kinda. Um, but that's uh, give and take. It's a bartering system. There's no love in that. Love would be here. I'll give you my Kit Kat. Oh, you can have my Reese's then. I didn't offer, and they didn't offer. I just gave, and they gave. There's a difference in that. Uh, even more so is I'll give you my Kit Kat. Well, you can't have any of mine. Well, that's fine. i give you my Kit Kat. That's given to give. Whoa, and somebody that's a little bit harsh like that, I'm going to go back and review. Let's see, bear with one another. Forgive them, one another. I'm <laughs> like, right? Uh, watch out for their grumbling tolerate one another that's number three in love uh, greet one another with a holy kiss in love right i'm watching right that's gotta be in context right what's that mean in a warm greeting now why do you think we do that on sunday mornings that's why we do shake and howdy time a handshake and a, a hearty hug is a, an american holy kiss okay so um no kissing your pastor next week Unless your brandy could probably. I'll probably let that one go. So, um, Be devoted to one another in love. And that comes out of Romans chapter 12, right? If you want some good application, a lot of these actually come from Romans chapter 12. A lot of them come from Ephesians chapter 4. Both of those are very good. The next section, humility. About 15% stress on the attitude of humility and deference among believers, okay? Give preference to one another in honor. Regard one another as more important as yourself. Serve one another. Wow. Wash one another's feet. That's when Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Don't be haughty. Be of the same mind. Romans 12 again. Be subject to one another. Ephesians. Clothe yourselves in humility toward one another. You know, pastor, this is a really good thing verses and there's really good application here i did you write these down somewhere and print it off maybe i did actually it's on the right underneath the tv in the back um on the other side in the foyer so if you want these verses if you want this application there's 10 of them i wish there were 10 of them as mike monk would say there's 11 in the next one and here's the rest that go on it says don't judge one another and don't be a stumbling block for your bro- and in your brother's way. Greet one another again in a holy kiss. Husbands and wives, don't deprive one another of physical intimacy. Bear one another's burdens. Speak truth to one another. Don't lie to one another. Confront one another concerning the resurrection. Encourage and build one another up. Stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Pray for one another. Be hospitable to one another. Of course, Jesus and the apostles, they give many more instructions to the church of these one another passages. These are a good start, right? This is a good place to start, um, especially building up the believers and things. I think this speaks directly to the care team that we've started. This is some of the, the things, some of the themes that we want to keep going But we also want to make sure that we read these verses in context. And so if you do want to check these out in context, all the references are on that sheet as well. They're also up here in front of us, but um, that's all right. They're on the sheet. They have the references. If you need that printed off, I saved it, and it's there. And I also have the, the link there as well. These commands, they come from Jesus, Peter, John, Paul, and James, and they're scattered across the New Testament. So don't just stop at the list, dig into them, find out what they have to say. And uh, especially about the kissing part, because I don't want to be kissed next week. Nothing. All right. Jesus made Christ, who never sinned, to be an offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Praise God for that blessing. Praise Him. Ephesians chapter 1, 19 through 23. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in Him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now He is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made Him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is His body is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. The church as a body. Why is Christ our authority? Paul just mentioned Christ as the head of the church, and now he turns around and he says it again. It's like he went in pretty good depth of it, and then he turns around and almost says the exact same thing, but he, it's not the same thing, but it's almost. He gives, defers authority to Christ, and he says he should have all the authority, and then he defers it again, and he should says we, he should have all of it, right? So why does he do that? Well, I think the first time he kind of says it, Christ's authority in the midst of God's overall scheme, the big picture plan, Christ has that authority, because he was there from the very beginning, before time began, during time, and after time he'll be there. He is part of God's plan. It is important that we know that, and it, and it, is, it shapes our theology to know that, okay? That's important, because that means that Jesus always was, God always was, and the Spirit always was, and he always is, and always will be, all of them always will be. So the triune God is and always will be. We talked about that just briefly last week, uh, about that, and I attributed to water in three sh- shapes, right? You have steam, liquid, and ice. They're all water, but they're all different. Um, that is a thing in nature that lends itself barely to the image of a triune God, okay? But it gives us that picture that helps us understand. This time, it's about God's authority in Christ for all time. He is an awesome in power, in wisdom, in holiness, and oh yeah, he has given that power to Christ, who is the head of the church. So why? Why would he give that power to Jesus? Okay, does that mean he took it from him at some point in time? I don't really, that's a good question. Um, I don't think so. I think Christ showed that he deserved it all the time. Could he have taken it from him? I think if Christ sinned, yes, he would have taken it from him. But he also knew that Christ wasn't going to sin. So 2 Corinthians 5.21, which is our theme today, for God made Christ, who never sinned, to be sinned so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Christ has faced God's wrath. Okay? When Jesus was on the cross, he didn't just take our burden upon himself. He was there to be the sacrifice for what God had planned for, and it was his wrath, right? God's wrath came upon Jesus Christ, and Jesus was able to bear up under it. Amen. Yeah, he was able to bear that punishment, wasn't he? And so since he was able to take on death, take on the power of sin which is death, he was able to rise again because he was worthy and since he rose again, he was able to ascend which was God's affirmation that yes, you are you are good enough to be here, you're good enough to be the sacrifice for all time for all mankind just like we planned it. And good enough is probably not a good enough Adjective great enough, awesome enough, right? And so, when we get into the heavenly realms, now what's going to happen? You see in Revelation, I think it's chapter 3, when the lamb who was slain, and it's John is weeping at this sight. He's saying, We are never going to be good enough. I am a broken man. There's no way I can get there. And that's how I felt that way before. I don't know if you've felt that way before, but I'm broken. I can't get there. And the angel taps me on the shoulder and is like, dude, it ain't about you. It's not about you. It's not your goodness. It's nothing you can do. Look, the lamb that was slain, that's taken away the sin of the world, he is worthy to open the scroll. He is awesome. We know we suck. I even think the angel knew that he sucked compared to God. Wow. That's pretty amazing and he that person is the head of the church that is who we serve that is who i'm trying to emulate falling short you're like amen amen shane you are that's right but there's times where we get it right isn't there and we get to see what god has for us and as we walk And we get to see a little brilliance of heaven. We're like, ooh, I like that. I want more of that. Because I want more Jesus in my life. And so I do my best to pour the Holy Spirit in from the top and fill up this broken vessel. And sometimes I got some big holes that let that spirit out fast, right? But he can pour in faster than I can let it out. And he can overflow out of the top of my heart. And out of the top of my heart, I can spread that to others. I don't want to pour out my pitcher a little bit at a time because I'm going to be empty of the Spirit myself. I want to fill up my pitcher so full that it bursts out of me that I can't hold it in. That is a sign that the Holy Spirit is working in your heart and that you are working toward Him. He chooses to use you and I like that to share the gospel, He chooses to use the church as His vessel. Blows my mind. Why would you use something so broken to, use, to tell such a perfect message? Because it makes it so much more pronounced. Right? David was a warrior. David was trained in the sling. But he was no match for Goliath. If David wins that match... Who's going to get the glory in that situation? Especially since David gave it to him. God is. God's going to get the glory, isn't he? That's why God uses broken people. Because that way we don't take the glory for ourselves, but we can pass that on to God where it belongs. Whoa. He makes the church holy. He sets Christ as the head. The church is fellowship. Verse 22 and 23 state that Christ is the head of the church and the church is his body. We are the hands and feet of Christ. So what are we supposed to do? The Bible says about the body what we're supposed to do, aka the church. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 18 through 21. Now it talks about this in all of chapter 12, or at least the the second section of Chapter 12. So I would encourage you to go back and read what the body is supposed to do and what we kind can of can't do, because there's more to it than this. I just use this one illustration, because we're studying Ephesians and not Corinthians. Maybe we'll have to do that one next. But our bodies have many parts. This is verse 18 of chapter 12, 1 Corinthians. But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. So How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. I have always looked at the church that we are designed to need each other. It's just something that's been ingrained in me. I think Pastor Dave helped reinforce this in me, and I think he had it right. And it was really neat to see how even the weaker parts of the church are there to strengthen the stronger parts, and the stronger parts are there to build up the weaker parts. We need each other. Not one person can manifest all the gifts and say, hey, you know, I'm a church unto myself, because God didn't design it that way. Now, can we all manifest... Each one of the gifts at some given point in time? Probably, because we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us. But God didn't design us to do that on a consistent basis. Because if we were going to do that, then he would have us all be perfect, just like Jesus did. I'm, I'm of the opinion Jesus is the only one that manifests all the gifts on a consistent basis. Okay? He built us up so that we would need one another. I was get. Maybe, maybe they're drawn to me. I don't know. I get people in my life that are like, um, well, I'm just not sure about this decision. To me, it's cut and dry. The decision is like, no, you shouldn't do that. This, you're trying to talk yourself into that, but they don't have any discernment. And so they're like, that doesn't really make, I, I don't see any problem doing this. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> Did you hear your pitch of your voice go up there? It's because you do have a problem with that, Right. What's God's word say about that? Well, it says probably not to do that. Well, why does it say that? Because it probably wouldn't go well with us. So you probably shouldn't do that. Well, I don't know. No, I'm pretty sure we're not supposed to do that, right? Let's, let's review. Let's go back and check that out again. So we are designed to need each other. And as our society moves toward this disposable culture, the idea that we can just throw away relationships just as easy as we could a a paper cup. It's even creeping into the church, right? I don't need you, so I'm just going to throw you away. I don't like what you have to say, so I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to go find a new friend group. Instead of pressing back into them and saying, and admonishing one another, and working on building each other up. See how those one another's work there? When we are in disagreement, brother, I have a, I have a, situation here. you said something during your sermon the other day um, and you what you basically said was blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Now has that ever happened to me? Yes, yes, it has. I've had several people come up to me and say, "Hey, Shane, did you really mean this? Oh, did I say that?" And I go back and listen, I sure did say that. Whoops. <laughs> and that's not right. And so there's some grace that comes along with being your pastor. But it's important for you as believers to catch those and call me out, just as it's important for me to call you guys out on some things too, right? And it can be subtler things. It doesn't have to be just from the pulpit, something that's so blatantly obvious. You know who calls me out on most of those things? It's my wife. She's like, I don't think you said what you meant to say. And I was like, yeah, you're probably right. I didn't mean to say that. Um, So maybe on Monday or Tuesday mornings, I could come back with a refraction sometimes, um, the corrections of my sermons. Uh, it doesn't happen very often, but it does happen. But there's times where we get sucked into the little things, isn't there? And we get comfortable and we get lazy and, and nobody's calling us out on those things. And we need to build each other up, lift them up, calling through, walking through, lifting to those things. So instead of working on the relationship, we just we just replace it because we don't really want to hear what they have to say because they're challenging us. So what happens when we keep replacing and keep replacing and there's no one left? We become a church unto ourselves, and guess what? We didn't just become a church unto ourselves. We became a God unto ourselves. And we're sacrificing all these friendships at the the altar of self. That's a dangerous place to be. That's a very wicked place to be. Because God's standard is perfection, and none of us are going to get there, so we need to bear up with one another. That is why He is the head and not me. He is perfection, I am not. Praise God for His grace, and thank you for yours as well. As we saw in the one another's earlier, we need to come alongside, we need to work through, work with, and work on one another in love. Paul says, let me show you the most excellent way. Let's just say if I was an elegant speaker, or if I had the understanding of God's secrets, or I had the faith that could move mountains, or maybe I sacrificed all my positions, I gave away all my Kit Kats. That's right, I did, because look at me. (laughs) Right? That's ridiculous, isn't it? And I'll even give away my own body, right? But if I have not love, what am I? God says I'm a resounding gong. I'm a clanging cymbal. What if we just had William come up and play the clanging cymbal the whole service long? Are we going to get anywhere? No. It's not going to be music to our ears. That's what he's saying when you try to use spiritual gifts without love in them. Without Jesus in them, they don't, they're not going to preach. Okay? It's nothing. I would be nothing. Well, pastor, we talk about love. So what is love? Of course, my mind goes, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. Some of you guys know that song, some of you don't. But you know what the problem with that song is? It's a very, 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 very poor definition of love. It's by Hathaway. It's definition is about control. And it's really about the other person controlling you. Verse 1 says, I don't know why, I don't know why you're not there. I give you my love, but you don't care. What is right? What is wrong? Give me a sign. Can you see how you've given them all the control in that relationship, in that song? And that's, well, I don't listen to the words. What is love? Oh, yeah, I guess I do, don't I? I remember the rest of that chorus, don't I? Baby, don't hurt me. Can you think of, like, the, the worst standard of love is, hey, you know, don't self-sacrifice me. But yeah, that's like at the top where baby, don't hurt me. It's like at the worst. That's like you know, we we're talking emotional, physical, and spiritual hurt. Don't you know? I hope we get along good enough, but just don't hurt me, right? What a horrible standard. That is what the world standard is, folks. Just do enough to get by. And when you don't, we'll throw you away and we'll get find somebody else because that's what divorces in our country now. We're just gonna try. We're gonna start over. Somebody new, and then we're gonna sing them the song. And we'll go into the second verse and say, "Oh, I don't know. What can I do? What else can I say? It's up to you. I know we're one, just me and you. I can't go on, right? You just described codependency in verse two. Yay! Wow, we're we're winning here, right? But it's our culture. Our culture is screaming that at us. They really want to know the real de- definition of love and the only true definition of love is Jesus Christ. And it comes out of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. For God made Christ who had never sinned, never sinned. He was perfect. He was absolutely the best. He became sin, so that we may be made right with God through Christ. Wow. That is my Savior. He defeated death, death on the cross. He rose again. He smashed it, and he is going to defeat death again. Defeat death by death. That's what the Matt Mare song says as well. He set the example for us. Praise God. So what is love? You have an answer that question, Pastor. First Corinthians chapter 13 answers that very well. Verses 4 through 7 says, Love is patient, it is kind. Now, this is our compliment sandwich. I, was, I learned this one. This is something I learned in while I was giving marriage counseling. She says. Uh, You ever heard of a compliment sandwich? This is the perfect compliment sandwich right here. It's one positive, a negative, and then a positive, right? So here's your positive. Love is patient. Love is kind. Now let's get the meat of the sandwich, right? Love is not jealous. It is not boastful. It is not proud. It is not rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It is not irritable. It is not irritable. I had to read that one three times this week because... Last month, I was very irritable. I'm getting better, though. And it it keeps no record of being wronged. Wow. Think about that one. If you are the irritable person, and then you expect them not to keep record of being wrong, you better stop being irritable. Right? Wow. Wow. It does not rejoice about injustice. And this is the turn. This is where the bread starts coming back on the sandwich. But rejoices whenever the truth wins out, which is our theme today. We need to know the truth. The truth will set you free is what Jesus says. Love never gives up. It never loses faith. It always hopes. It, never, it always endures through the very insta- circumstances. Love has to be in the fellowship of believers. It is the lifeblood. If you look at the body of believers in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you have to look at the blood of the body, which is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I'm going to skip that illustration. I'm running out of time. Let's go down to the last four points. What do we do? How do we do this? How do we correct this? How do we get out of this? First, we got to pray. God's the carpenter. He can fix us. right? He can put us back together. We look at the, you look at the church as a barrel, and the low rung of the barrel is the one that we need to lift up so we can hold the spirit in and, and allow it to spill out even better and to more quantity. God is the spiritual carpenter. He can lift up that bottom rung. We need to, too, support. We need to come alongside those who are a little lower. We need to help build them up because at one point in time, we might be the person that's low. We might be the person that needs help. And so we need others to come alongside and guide us when we are weak. That's why we have the body of believers to work together. Third, correct without judgment. Don't take the speck out of your brother's eye when you have a log in your own. That's Matthew chapter five, verse seven, or Matthew chapter seven, verse one and two. Keep moving forward. If you feel worthless, if you feel like you haven't done, keep moving forward, keep pulling up. Don't dwell on your past. Continue to get into God's word for growth. Move forward in excellence with the expectation that Christ is in the lead. Because God made Christ who never sinned to become an offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Let's pray. Elders, do you want to come up for communion as well, please? Lord Jesus, we thank you. We give you the honor and the praise and the glory because you became sin, someone who knew no sin, that you might save us. Lord, Lord you had joy in your heart to do so. You took on our suffering. You took on our shame that we might uh, be children of God we give you the praise and the honor and the glory hallelujah did you know that an attitude of gratitude combats sin an attitude of, com- of gratitude combats sin so when we thank God for what he has given us and provided for us That allows our spirit to recognize that we are not as awesome as he is. So it goes like this. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the peace and your rest that you've given us. We thank you that you have understanding and that you come alongside us and build us up. Lord, we thank you for our families. We thank you for the believers that we have today. Lord, I pray that you would build them up and direct them in your ways. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving us a disciple-making way of life. In Christ Jesus. As we go through every part of this day, help us to love you and love the people who cross our paths, starting with our families. Don't let us miss the adventures you're sending our way to live and to speak the good news about Jesus today. Draw our hearts to you and the specific people you want us to pull close for Jesus-like disciple-making friendships. By your word and spirit, transform us into followers of Jesus who loves you, who love people Who make disciples, who make more disciples, ad infinitum. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much. You guys are dismissed.